There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL Draft this year. My name is Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Greg Horbeck. We cover trades, free agency, and the draft, which is, yeah, obviously. We'll tell you about everything, which includes which quarterbacks are good, which quarterbacks are bad, and which quarterbacks are just Kirk Cousins. That is the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Search the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Wednesday, February 14th. Heading into 2024, we knew the first couple months would be rough at the box office. Last year's strikes pushed a bunch of movies, and even before the strike, there was nothing on the calendar from Marvel or DC or really any big global franchise until March, when Dune 2 and Kung Fu Panda 4 arrived. And nothing massive like Avatar 2 or Spider-Man Far From Home to spill into January and February. But man, it's even worse than the predictions. Total box office through half of February is at about 87% of last year, according to the Screen Dollars newsletter. And last year wasn't huge. And it's only about 65% of 2019 numbers. That is a big yikes. Those comparisons are likely to get worse after this President's Day weekend. There's usually a big tent pole for the holiday, like last year's Ant-Man 3, which opened to 106 million domestic. This year, there's a Bob Marley biopic. And then there's Madam Web, which, no surprise, is getting eviscerated by critics, even for a Sony Marvel movie, which are usually bad. Depressing all around for the movie studios, and there's not a lot of optimism that things will turn around that much during the rest of the year. It's both the number of movies. In 2023, there were 124 wide theatrical releases, meaning they opened in 1,000-plus theaters. This year, there are about 10% fewer, at least according to the schedule today. And the quality of the movies as well. I don't mean whether they're good or bad. I mean whether they are proven franchises or not. Only one Marvel movie in Deadpool and Wolverine, and no DC movies except Joker 2 in the fall. But there are tons of wild cards, and if last year's Barbenheimer phenomenon taught us anything, it's that nobody can really predict where the next franchise is going to come from. So today we've got Scott Mendelson in here to talk about it all. Scott's a box office expert and writes about it for Puck, as well as his own Substack. We're going to talk today about Hollywood's winter of discontent at the box office, and how much people should be panicking. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Scott Mendelson, who is our resident box office expert. And uh, you are watching the numbers as closely as I am. And it's pretty bleak out there, right? First of all, welcome. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. So let's go through the first five weeks of the year. Did the studios just basically give up? I mean, what what is going on here? I know we've had some movies that have underperformed, like Argyle was a bomb, and I don't think... You know, as as well as Mean Girls opened, I don't think, you know, they thought it would just 
sit there and pause at like 60, 70 million. What's going on here? Why, why is there nothing in the first five weeks of the year? I mean, I have theories. I do think that there is perhaps an attempt to make the summer season look more prosperous than it actually is by mm. putting as much many of the delayed, whether it's by the strike or whatever reason, into that May-August slot to make, so at least they can sell the narrative that, hey, summer box office is back, yada, yada, yada. Right. That being said, I mean, never thought I would say this, but thank goodness for the streamers. <laughs> you know, Argyle obviously is an Apple film. Mean Girls was greenlit for Paramount+. Plus. To their credit, they realized that they could make a few bucks on this theatrically, and they did. It's, oh, I think it's over a hundred million by now. Worldwide. Yeah, worldwide, yes. And, you know, however you want to count it, the, you know, the Angel Studios, Fathom Events, Christmas with the Chosen stuff that are releasing three episodes at a time. I think there's episodes four through six opening this weekend. So if you take those off the board, there's almost nothing. Yeah. I mean, those are small potatoes, though, relatively speaking. I mean, the strike obviously is a big factor here. But if we look at the calendar itself, through the end of April, there are 31 wide releases on the calendar. That's compared to 44 for the January through April 2023 span. And that is where the difference is, right there. I mean, the studios are just not trying with big wide releases. And You can say that they're trying to pad the summer. You can say that they're doing the best with the limited slate they have due to the strikes. But the fact of the matter is money is being left on the table on these weekends that are pretty barren. Like you'd think somebody would throw something into those slots. You know what might do halfway decently around this period? Maybe not enough to, you know, make a profit break even, but if a certain studio had some kind of Looney Tunes cartoon, maybe (laughs) half live action, last (laughs) animated. You're referring to the shelved Looney Tunes movie that Warner Brothers uh, has decided to destroy or put to sleep for a tax credit. And they, you know, said they were selling it off or open to bidders. Uh, I don't believe that was ever real. They put the price at like 70, 80 million dollars and nobody was going to pay that. Um, Yeah, that might have done well. I mean, my kid has been jonesing for a movie in theaters. He hasn't seen anything since migration in December. Which is one reason why Kung Fu Panda 4 is now all the more likely to perform as well as Kung Fu Panda 3, even under a very different ecosystem. Yeah, and Coyote versus Acme probably would have done okay in February. And I think studios to a certain extent have to understand and i think to a certain extent they some of them already do that even in the quote-unquote streaming ecosystem theatrical is still the way you make revenue on a cash in hand basis for these pictures yeah no they all do that i mean they've all done that pivot where they say okay we're done with the streaming only movies except for netflix but everybody else is now releasing movies in theaters the other big question mark is this roadhouse movie that amazon has that they are putting directly on the streamer. This is a Doug Lyman movie, and he's been very vocal about having, you know, he wants a theatrical release. Amazon is putting pretty small movies like the George Clooney movie, Boys in the Boat. They did Beekeeper that is actually doing pretty well, all things considered. It is Jason Statham's biggest grossing sans inflation, <laughs> uh, solo non-meg star vehicle ever. Wow, that is, a, that is quite a stat right there. Solo non-meg picture. But my point is, Roadhouse probably would have done pretty well in theaters, and Amazon chose not to do it. I don't understand that. 
With the caveat that I think it probably would have done fine in theaters, I'm of two minds of this. First, I think there's a case to be made that perhaps Amazon is using theatrical to build awareness and prestige. Prestige for a beekeeper Jason Statham movie? Well, I'm thinking things like Boys of the Boat or American sure. Fiction, which is going to do a lot better than it would have done just as a streaming-only title. But when you have something like Roadhouse, which is come watch Jake Gyllenhaal in this loose remake of this property that you already know, that may be more valuable to them as just a you know a, a thumbnail on the site. Yeah, they did a lot of things into that movie to make it more quote-unquote theatrical. Like they put Conor McGregor in it. And they've, you know, they beefed up a lot of the production value during the shoot. And it seemed like it was headed for a theatrical release. And then, no. And, and you've got a filmmaker in Doug Lyman, who's a very, you know, prolific filmmaker, openly criticizing Amazon, which you almost never see. Yes. <laughs> I've often joked that Lyman, and this probably doesn't apply to Roadhouse, is sort of the king of the, oh my God, this movie's a disaster. It's being reshot eight times, being taken out of their ads. It's going over budget. Oh, my, oh wait, it's good and successful. I know that happened. <laughs> he's got a very weird. He's got a very weird reputation for that. Most of his movies are considered disasters when they're shooting, and then they come out and they do great. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Born Identity was probably one of the more influential tentpoles of the twenty two thousands. Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, Mister Mrs. Smith. We can go on and on. That being said, if theatrical is living or dying by a opie b-movie remake of roadhouse then the battle is already lost <laughs> it's true if you look at the first four months of last year the box office was at 2.65 billion and there were this is including march and april there were movies like super mario brothers ant-man and the wasp quantumania john wick 4 creed 3 scream 6 i mean those are like legitimate franchise movies and you know with the exception i think probably super mario brothers did better than most people anticipated and same with john wick chapter four but like those were pretty bankable you know movies that did what they were going to do even looking at the first four months of this year with those march and april tent poles in there like is dune 2 gonna match that is kung fu panda 4 gonna match that ghostbusters frozen empire which was push from December into this year. Are those going to match them? Probably not. And this is a problem year round is that mm -hmm. it's not that there's not movies out and there's not that there's not franchisee temples out. It's that the vast majority of the films being offered this year are the, from the kinds of franchises that are either commercial coin tosses or would be just fine on their own if they crack 400 million worldwide, maybe 500 million. And that's fine for the studios in terms of budget and rate of return and all that. But for total cumulative box office, that's a problem for theaters. Yeah, we'll get to the theater aspect here, too. I just want to know what you're hearing on Dune 2, because it's a fascinating franchise to me. Uh, you know, it's a marquee filmmaker in Villeneuve, and it's got four what I would call like major young stars when Chalamet's and Dea, Florence Pugh and Austin Butler, and yet everything I'm hearing is that Warners is having trouble breaking this movie out from the sci-fi crowd. It'll open. They want it to open like 70 to 90 range, but for this movie to gross more than 400, which the last one did, like they need general audiences, and I'm not sure, according to the tracking numbers I've seen, that they are there yet. Well, I've 
always been of the opinion that the first Dune did about as well as the first Dune was going to do in quote unquote non COVID slash non project popcorn times. Oh, really? I mean, I, I day do. and date on HBO Max and I think COVID? give it an extra 20% or so because I mean, most of the films on the 2021 Warner Brothers slate were commercial coin tosses at best, likely flops at worst. Mm-hmm. Godzilla v. Kong did, I think, better than it would have done in non COVID times. Yeah. I think there were a number of films in 2021, like Free Guy and Godzilla Kong and frankly, Spider-Man No Way Home, which obviously was going to be a big hit. But I think if it had it open in like July of 2021 as just another tentpole, it probably would have earned closer to far from home numbers. So the idea that Dune was otherwise, you know, in a non-COVID, non-HBO Max world that was going to do Lord of the Rings numbers was a fallacy. It was a myth. It was something basically, I would argue, spread by the film nerd bubble, perpetually online film nerd bubble that thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. Right. No, I know. It's it's very sci-fi. It's also, not, Dune 2 is two hours and 46 minutes. Oh, yes. I did not know that. Now, that's about 10 minutes longer than the first one, so it's not a huge jump. Yeah. But if people think they can take their kids, the runtime is irrelevant. That's my opinion, generally speaking. Oh, you think so? No, I'm the because opposite. Because if, people, think, if can, people can take their kids and their kids want to go, it's just the Saturday afternoon at the movies. I know, but you know what? The kids get antsy. My kid gets super antsy after about an hour 45. So do I. <laughs> so does Craig. Craig's got a very small bladder as well. Little known fact about Craig. I'm on the record saying many times is that if this does walk up business, that will be spectacular. Yeah. No, I know. And IMAX, IMAX will be huge. To do. Yeah. Um, and, and they need it. I mean, there's nothing out there right now. I think they were hoping Madam Webb wouldn't be a turd, but it's a turd. In fact, looking worldwide, I mean, it is possible that Kung Fu Panda 4 does more than Dune. I think it's going to be close because the last Kung Fu Panda did, I think, 520. Now, that was with China offering up around 150, which probably isn't going to happen this time. Mm-hmm. They'll be thrilled to get 50 in the new normal. Right. But that is a popular franchise with a popular marquee character played by an actor that when it comes to kids films, I would argue is a butts and seats movie star. Oh, Jack Black. Of course. Yeah. After the Peaches song. What do you do with, you know, the new Jurassic film? And I don't know who you get to star, but my first phone call would be to get Jack Black in a supporting role. Oh, you're campaigning now for Jack Black to star in Jurassic World? For the sake of the industry, yes. <laughs> Without the beard. The, the beard is off-putting, but yes, I agree. Uh, I think kids like the beard. They do? Uh, yeah, he's, it makes him look goofier and more kid-friendly or whatever. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. I am looking at an NRG poll, National Research Group, that shows that 69% of moviegoers say they want more original movies in theaters. That is up from previous surveys. You're laughing at that because I know what you're going to say. People say that, yes. and then they act with their wallets, and then they mm-hmm. go see more of the same. And I'm wondering if the lack of these you know, huge franchises from previous years will cause more people to sample original movies this year. That is the hope. And 
unfortunately, movie going is now in a situation where instead of people going to movies just to see a movie and, hey, I want to go to the movies, what's playing? And this has been an issue since, I don't know, 2016, give or take. Because there's so many other options for their entertainment time and dollar, many of which are at home and physically free, people only go to the movies when there's something they actually want to see at the movies. Right. And are moviegoers more likely to sample something like Fall Guy? I know that's a TV adaptation, but it's a new-to-you adaptation. The same thing with The Equalizer. Nobody showed up because it was an adaptation of the TV show. They wanted because it was Denzel Washington, Righteous Revenger Man. Fall Guy is an interesting one because, you know, neither Lucas nor me nor Craig picked it in our box office draft. And I think that's because, you know, the trailer's like, eh, whatever. Even though Gosling is hot, the $130 budget on that, like, maybe it's a decent sleeper. I don't know. I think the CinemaCon footage was good. I thought the first trailer was terrible. It was awkward. It was set to a 50-year-old Bon Jovi song that today's kids don't give a shit about. Oh, I don't know about that, but I get your point. It I mean, wasn't at least great. he's living on a prayer. Come on. <laughs> and look, that, you, know, you Give Love a Bad Name is one of my favorite songs when I was six, but I... No, yeah. I get it. I, I don't know. <laughs> but at that budget, they needed to get to what, like 400 for it to be a solid hit and start a I franchise? Think because they have a very healthy post-theatrical, maybe healthier than some of their rivals, that I think 350, they could probably, they will eventually make money. Okay. Well, but they want to compete in the summer. They're see, yeah, they yeah. see this as a franchise. And if you go cheap, I mean, listen, what we learned from the Spider-Man Sony stuff is, you know, they go cheap on these movies and it shows. It also just like, I am convinced Tom Rothman at Sony, just like not the biggest champion of superhero movies, in my opinion. I mean, he sort of holds his nose and does all these Spider-Man spinoffs because they you. can. Uh, you can just tell their heart is not in it. Not every superhero movie has to cost $200 million. But if you're going to compete for superhero audience dollars, you got to show that you at least care. I hope I eat a little crow on that. Why? Well, no, because I mean, I, I, I thought it was budgeted at a point where, you know, 300, 350 would be spectacular. Now, I think if it gets to 400, they can sell it as a long-term success because of PVOD and, and licensing and all that jazz. Sure, but... My point is that consumers now are sniffing out movies that are not really in the game. Like, you got to show up in order to be considered theatrical worthy. And unless you've got Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney naked and they're doing TikTok dances and that's what's getting you to theaters, like a lesser version of a Spider-Man movie, I just don't know if that cuts it anymore. I would not be surprised if Venom 3 or Craven, whichever comes out last, is the last we see of these not-quite-a-Spider-Man live-action pictures. Mm, interesting. If I were them, I would realize that I got lucky with Venom. Venom was a marquee character in a way that uh, you know Morbius and, and Madam Web and even, I think, to a certain extent, Craven are not. But yeah, I do think audiences may show up more for original stuff or new-to-you content in a way they haven't in pre-COVID times. I do. I am optimistic. But I also don't think they're going to show up to an extent that makes up for the lack of even underperforming Marvel and DC movies and the lack of even underperforming Disney animated films and the lack of an Oscar season. I think those are the three big variables that explain why COVID-era box office is down still down from pre-COVID. It's yeah. the, the total lack of releases. Obviously, that matters. More movies, more money. And we keep having one reason or another for the last four years for why theaters are being starved. But I think there were a couple unexpected saviors in the sense of Sound of Freedom, Taylor Swift, and Five Nights at Freddy's. And I think one optimistic stat out of 2023 is that 
In 2011, the top six grossing domestic pictures made up around 16% of the overall domestic box office. By 2018, that number was up to 26, 27%. By 2019 and onward, for reasons, you know, Disney was going nuts in 2019, and then everything else was COVID, streaming, et cetera, it's been up to 40%. In 2023, it was down to 30%, hmm. which means that more people were spending more of their money on a slightly larger plate of movies. Now, that could just be Taylor Swift, Five Nights at Freddy's. Well, Barbenheimer. Or, yes, Barbenheimer, and, but those are the, one of the top six grossing films. Oh, okay. I'm talking oh, about films that are is slightly it, below. It, right. It was spread out more beyond yeah. that. Okay. And these these demographically specific event films like Godzilla Minus One, The Boy and the Heron, Sound of Freedom, et cetera, et cetera. That feels like a Marvel problem to me, right? That the superhero yeah. movies aren't as strong as they once were. Yeah. Well, not just Marvel, but a number of the movies last year that were tipped as invincible turned out were underperformers like Mission Impossible, Fast and Furious, Indiana Jones. Little Mermaid, like those were all supposed to be the top grocers of the year, and they kind of shat the bed. And I think a big problem with that is Hollywood was still looking at this, the notion that kids were going to be excited by their parents' favorite superheroes. <laughs> my kid, my friend's kid uh, is super into Indiana Jones. It was Indiana Jones for Halloween. So the, the, it does happen, but not a lot. The next Indiana Jones adventure needs to be a time travel adventure to figure out why the fifth movie cost $300 million. Because instead of spend, you know, paying $30 million to Chris <laughs> Pratt, who actually is a butts and seats draw with kids, they spent God knows how much money doing all the de-aging stuff. Right. No, I know. And Harrison Ford, who can barely run. Yeah, this is not a slam on his talent. He's wonderful at the Yellowstone thing. But it felt like I was watching the end of Hollywood Land with Ben oh. Affleck doing the wrestling videos and failing. If Chris Pratt was, was cast as Indiana Jones while Harrison Ford was alive, I would jump off a bridge. Fair or not, that film would have, I believe that film would have made more money. Oh, interesting. You're just straight recasting, no explanation. Indiana Jones pick up after one of the previous that movies, and awful. it's now Chris Pratt. That's awful. It's horrible. Scott, there's an example of that. It's called Solo, and it bombed. Can your kid tell me who starred in that movie? No, he's never seen that movie because it's bad, and I've never shown it to him. But he probably knows who Chris Pratt is. Oh, of course he does. And, you know, we, the internet likes to talk about, you know, the worst Chris, best Chris, whatever. General audiences know who Chris Pratt is and like Chris Pratt as an added value element in big franchises in a way that does not apply to, say, Chris Pine and Chris Edgeworth. All right. So are you bullish on Garfield this year? Uh, relative to budget, yes. You think so? You think that'll yeah. be a hit? Again, I do not know what it cost, but I'm Sony, so I'm guessing they did not spend $180 million on Garfield. Because, yeah, it's a popular character. There's not a lot of kids' films. My kid knows about it. He's seen the trailer. That's a perfect example of a, a franchise film that, even if it's successful, is still going to make a lot less in raw money than like The Little Mermaid. And that's the conundrum of Disney. And, and, and even their flops bring in more raw dollars than a lot of their competitors' big hits. Right. So one of the big showdowns now that Disney has announced Moana 2 for Thanksgiving is Moana 2 versus Wicked. If you were Universal, would you move Wicked away from Moana 2? Or would you just say, fuck it, we're confident in this movie. We're going to take on one of the biggest kids franchises of all time. That's a tough one because they're both kid-friendly musicals. It's yeah. not like... Female you know, skewing. Yeah, for example, if this was a matter of, oh, should Sonic stay at Christmas instead of, you know, or grow up against Mufasa, you know, I would say, okay, fine, stay. Or... 
you switch it with Gladiator 2 because at least they're both, you know, big tent poles, but they're not the ex- going after a similar audience. I think there's value in showing that they're not scared of Disney anymore. Yeah. And that's what I've heard is that they are not going to move it and that Disney is in a weakened state and needs Moana to be a hit more than they ever have. When Wicked was announced in June of 2016, my big stupid hot take was that, hey, this is the chance for Universal to show that Disney does not have a monopoly on fairy tale fantasy adventure films of that nature. Eight years later, dear God, we're old. It is frankly a chance to almost strike a killing blow in that if Wicked just stomps over Moana or at least prevents it from being a hit, then Disney is in a pickle. Yeah, it was originally set for Christmas, though, and they moved it to Thanksgiving thinking they could take advantage of the hole in the schedule there. And now, like, Moana is the, was the number one movie on streaming last year. It has been the consistently probably the most watched movie on Disney Plus, period, <laughs> yeah. over the, you know, since it lost in 2019. Now, and we're assuming it's going to be good. I mean, this is a repurposed television show and it doesn't have music from Lin-Manuel Miranda like the first one. This is Atlantis 2 Milo's Return. (laughs) Potentially. To be fair, fair, I'm sure they are aware they they cannot release a direct-to-VHS quality product in theaters. Yes, and they've got seven months to fix that. And if there's anything that Bob Iger at Disney needs right now, it's for Moana 2 to be a hit. So they're going to throw what they need to throw at it. If I were wearing my tinfoil hat, I would argue that the scheduling as it lays out is he wants a run of surefire franchise-friendly hits before he walks out the door, if he really does leave again in 2626, as he's promising. Because, you know, he can at least say, hey, you know, Disney animation is back. Well, yeah, if they're sequels, I guess. You know, and, you know, even if Marvel is still you know, up and down, as long as they've got an Avengers movie in 2026, he can say, look, Marvel is back. And then, you know, if the Star Wars movie does well, relatively speaking, Star Wars is back. My work here is done. Sayonara. And then it's up to his predecessor to do the one thing that Bob Iger could never do, even in the original run, which is make new live action theatrical franchises. You mean his successor, not his predecessor. I apologize. His successor. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there's a ton of great narratives for this year. We will check back in with you on box office. Thank you very much for coming in. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure. I love doing these. All right, we're back with the call sheet. Craig, happy Valentine's Day. Maybe this is the year that Ana de Armas finally writes you back. Should I celebrate by, by <laughs> taking my lovely wife to Madam Webb? You absolutely should. All right, so Scott is here. Craig is here. Scott has seen Madam Webb. Craig has not. He's going to see it this weekend. Um, I will not be seeing <laughs> it this weekend. But pretty bad reviews. Scott, what do you think? Better than Morbius. By default. <laughs> that is not I, I don't much. even know what that means. <laughs> is it bad? Yes. Did I have a good time with it in terms of is this is a ridiculous, silly movie with a handful of actresses that I tend to enjoy in most things that, you know, Dakota Johnson seems to be in on the joke. Is she, though? Is she, though? I will give her the benefit of the doubt. It's one of 2024's toughest questions. Is, yeah. is Dakota Johnson in on the joke? Yeah, I, I don't know that she is. So the, the reviews are bad. And uh, my favorite is the Rolling Stone review. Calls it a, quote, genuine Chernobyl-level disaster that seems to get exponentially <laughs> more radioactive as it goes along. It calls it the cats of superhero movies. <laughs> uh, the sole amazing factor of this spider spinoff is that someone somewhere signed off on actually releasing it. 
Look, I think they should put that on the billboard. That makes me want to see the movie more. They should well, lean that's into that. The thing is like it's almost like it's not bad enough to be campy and something that you see with your friends after like smoking a joint. Like they needed to go all in on. It's the earnestly bad. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And the problem with the film is, you know, I complain all the time about you know franchise starters that are basically glorified prequels for the sequel that will never happen. <laughs> this is a prequel to the prequel the origin story that will never happen because with you know and this is not you know it's not a spoiler to say that something doesn't happen the brief glimpses of the three actresses in their spider gear flying around and beating people up yeah that's all you get in the movie they're basically future tense flash forward flashbacks and the line that everyone's talking about the meme line isn't even in the movie which is no. ridiculous so what is the box office estimate? For okay, so we're day? not critics. I will just preface that. We are not critics, uh, but we do analyze the box office tracking. And the tracking for Madam Webb was in the 30s. It has dropped to the high 20s. I'm going to take Over the six under. days, Over correct? six days, yes. It opens Valentine's Day and goes through the holiday weekend. Remember, this is a holiday. It goes through Monday. So this is a six-day number, high 20s. I'm going to take the under. I'm inclined to as well. Do you think there's enough Sydney Sweeney, Dakota Johnson juice to get this over the line or no? That's the question. I think it's more the former there, Sydney Sweeney, whether her fans will show up. Um, I don't know if they will. She's not even, I mean, Scott, she's not even in it that much, right? Well, no, she's, she's a major supporting character. I think okay. of the three young women, she's probably front and center by default. How do I say this without being a lech? While women are more likely to see a film that they otherwise want to see because one of the cast members is someone they are attracted to. They're a heartthrob. I've noticed over 25 years, frankly, that men are less likely to do that. Hmm. Women will show up to the new Freddie Prince Jr. movie, but men wouldn't show up to the new Sarah Michelle Gellar movie or the new Pamela Anderson movie. I believe in that. Yeah. All right. Well, this is not a societal critique podcast. We, <laughs> we want the numbers. So you're going to officially take the under on the high 20s tracking for Madam Webb. I think it ends up just under 25. Okay, so that's the under. Um, how do you think Bob Marley will do? The tracking for Bob Marley One Love is at 30 million for the sixth day. I think it gets there. Yeah, I do too. I'm going to take the over. And I think that will be a big cultural conversation about how the musical biopic easily just pancaked the superhero movie. Yeah, neither's got good reviews, though. The Bob Marley no. movie was not. I remember that this was seen as a potential awards movie. And when they moved it to... February, I was like, oh, okay. This is a, very this well a, acted yeah. because they're all good actors. And it's a very thematically thin picture in terms of what do I learn about this person that I didn't already know? Right. I mean, everybody knows Bob Marley. Everybody had yeah. their high school phase with Bob Marley. So it's a pretty universal topic. Yeah. He is a marquee character. So you're taking the over. Craig, are you going to weigh in here? I'm going to take the under on both. Oh, wow. You hate Bob Marley. Craig hates Bob Marley, everyone. There's no stars in it. I don't know. <laughs> People are going to be enjoying their weekend and not going to see two movies that are somewhat irrelevant. Nothing else really as an option, though. Like, it's not like there's any lingering love for Argyle or, you know, well, I then guess don't go could, to the movies. You don't have not. to go. That's the problem. They, they, if there's nothing that they, you know, people treat Netflix like, okay, what's on Netflix this week? Oh, that looks good. And of course, that's how they used to treat the movie theater. Right. Um, all right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Scott Mendelson, producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will see you later this week. Bye.